0: Hey, sorry. I uh hey. I was running two minutes late and then I was like, oh shoot, I don't even know where the calendar invite was. So then I had to find that. And then I tried logging in and they're like, you need to download an update to, to <laughs> log. I'm like, God damn it's it. It's
1: okay. It happened to me today in class and I was like, fucking Zoom, I swear.
0: I guess the only question I have is if I like if I start slobbering and screw something up, do you cut it out essentially? Is that I how can. that works? all right i i think i should be okay but i just didn't know i'll try to behave myself
1: (laughs) yeah keep it together hey y'all welcome back to what the hell do i do now I'm your host, Genevieve Henderson, and I am so excited that you've tuned in. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, send it to your friends and family, anyone who resonates with the things we talk about. So here we go y'all, hope you enjoy. you ready? Let's do this thing. I have a special guest on today that I met last week, actually. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> connected with him through one of my good friends from uh, college, Nicole Koretsky, Nico, and just super excited. We connected about a company that he started and I'll let him tell more about that. But um, yeah, excited to have him on. He ran track at Yale. I don't even know like what event you did or anything I I know I, pretty I don't much even nothing.
0: Know
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so hand it over the floor to Brendan and he'll kind of give a little background on who he is and then we'll get into it
0: yeah, sure. So thanks so much for having me on. Um, yeah, so uh, we started Zama Health a little over a year ago and it, it's meant to serve as a mental health company for the athletic community. As you mentioned, I, I was captain of the track team when I was at Yale. And just even at a division one well-funded program, there's just a massive lack of resources that that are available. And, you know, several kids in the team had, you know, challenges and not even just within the team, but you know, friends on other teams. And so Um, You know, what we're really trying to do is provide the services that gyms and sports teams can offer athlete-focused clinical services um, to their members and athletes in order to improve both health and performance. Um, And these things could include, like, psychotherapy, medication management, dietitian counseling support groups. Um, And so I'm not sure if you're familiar with the NCAA best practices for mental health, but... Uh, part of that is also in addition to you know clinical licensure of practitioners also doing kind of educational workshops for for staff and trainers who are usually kind of the first line of defense and seeing issues that come up amongst athletes, and then even just groups and um, kind of peer training for for the uh, for the athletes themselves. So, kind of trying to to do all of that both in the collegiate sense and and also um, with fitness and, and gyms as you're aware.
1: Can you talk to me a little bit about how you got into that and who you're working with?
0: Sure. business partner,
1: all of that.
0: Yeah. So I started this company with my mother because everyone wants to start a company with their mom, as I've told you. Um, So she was formerly the associate medical director for the only inpatient eating disorder unit and general psych unit in New England. And essentially it just kind of was fortuitous timing. Uh, My parents moved to DC or my sister and I live about a couple of years ago. And kind of at that time, I you know, I was starting to transition roles and I was like, I think it'd be really fun to to start a company that's focused on, on mental health. And initially it was more general or really just trying to provide more of an integrative offering where you could access all these different services in addition to therapy. Um, But kind of realized, you know, after about nine months that it could really benefit athletes specifically. You know, it's obviously my background. I'm also a Uh, nascent cpt and and so um we kind of pivoted started working with gyms like equinox and providing services to to members and staff um and yeah and then and then kind of kind of went from there
1: what was your transition like how long after you were done competing did you get into this
0: yeah so so I graduated 2016, I, I worked in finance for a few years and did, would not say I enjoyed it that much. And so, um, you know, I'd always knew I wanted to start a company, I was always super interested in, in healthcare itself, um, but also obviously having a fitness background, really interested in kind of the intermixing of both. And I think just like growing up with my mom, who is essentially a de facto um, therapist uh, for free. I think it made me realize like having that kind of support was definitely really helpful throughout my whole life. And, you know, I found a lot of friends, especially guys kind of, you know, felt comfortable reaching out to me and asking me questions about things. And in just kind of through conversation with those realizing that there really is not an outlet, especially for, for guys where I think every mental health company essentially targets women. And so just as I thought more about that and kind of the intermixing of like, of like psychology of performance, um, we just felt like it was like a, a an interesting way to provide this to um, people that was a lot more approachable. And so, you know, I was working at a couple healthcare startups. Um, and so I, I started kind of working part-time on this on the side. I was working for these other startups and then eventually, um, kind of moved over and, and did this full-time.
1: What, um, I guess during school, you said there wasn't a ton of access to uh, providers or practitioners that maybe athletes would want to talk to or be able to see. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you ever experience anything yourself where you felt like you needed to speak with someone and you didn't have that opportunity?
0: Yeah, I mean I I definitely tried at one point and basically was turned away cuz like if you only essentially you could only get care if you were having like an extreme crisis situation like, you know, suicidal tendencies or something like that. I think that luckily I always had a really strong support system around me, friends, family, and so um there was always kind of people I could lean on for for things that bothered me, but you know, I think like as an athlete, you realize a lot of your focus on the game has nothing to necessarily do to kind of like the game itself sometimes. Um, and so all these other things from, you know, relationships or work or, you know, balancing kind of like uh, curriculars and academics and stuff. And I think that what something like, you know, therapy or mental health services provide is they allow you to kind of like take all of that stress and 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 kind of deal with it in a productive fashion where I think, you know, beforehand it was just, I would go to the bar. (laughs) So I think I handle a lot of things totally unproductively. And, but again, like, you know, I never got to the point where I felt like, you know, I was like severely depressed or not suicidal or something. And so because of that, you just couldn't really access services. Yeah. That was a really long winded answer. I don't even remember your next question. (laughs) That was great.
1: I appreciate that. I, I would agree with you about the barriers to access like even i have all the privilege in the world like i my dad's a doctor i had we had incredible health insurance friends who supported me i'm f- i'm a female like even then it, i had a hard time sometimes finding support even finding the words to explain what i was feeling during mm-hmm. soccer and and after and also that idea of isolation like i felt that i thought i was the only one feeling sad or I still don't even know the words. Like I wasn't sleeping and I was on edge all the time, and I had huge bags under my eyes, and I didn't know how to describe it to people, and so I didn't really talk about it. I think with as self aware I would say as I am, still haven't reached definitely full awareness, but I know when I'm feeling down, and to be able to not explain that and have the vocabulary was hard, and I I can't imagine not having like the support that I had.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think um, a lot of times too, especially, I think athletes face this a lot. It's like, you know, you're, you're you do have an early morning workout or lift, and then you have breakfast, and then you have your first class, and then maybe another one, and then you're going out to practice, and then you have like the post practice lift, and then you have dinner, and then you're studying, and then it's just repeat. And I think like it just gets, you end up going like bang, bang, bang through all these things that um, it's almost like you're, you go into automation mode where like you kind of like, don't really deal with a lot of these things until maybe it comes to kind of a head and you just get really stressed out. Um, And so I think part of that issue too, is, it just comes down to time. It's like, you know, if you spent your entire day trying to find like an in-network provider, you know, for like two weeks, could you do it? Maybe, you know, like probably, ideally, (laughs) but but yeah, ideally, but a lot of times you just don't have the time to do that. And, And so the consequences of, not getting these other things done are just going to stress you out even more. And so, I think what we're basically trying to do is just make it really easy for people where they can use their insurance. They, you know, they know that they've kind of received sort of continued education training on the needs of student athletes, um, but really just make it a lot kind of easier, ease that access for people. Because obviously, especially if something is already stigmatized, which is getting better, but you know, unapproachable to people if you add the time component, there's no way they're ever going to try to go, you know, do that. And so how can you offer it in a way where it's as easy as possible to get it? And then there's still the issue of like how you actually get people that need it to come into it. And that's a whole nother thing. But the first step is really just kind of dropping the barrier to access. And a lot of that's affordability and just um, availability.
1: I want to kind of pivot a little bit. Can you tell me about what your events and stuff were in track and your experience with the sport growing up?
0: Yeah, sure. So I so in high school, my events in track were, I kind of was a sprinter, hurdler, pole vaulter, which is very random, I know. All my friends give me a lot of shit for that. Uh, I'm actually scared of heights, so that's actually how I got into wow. it. And my, my dad used to be a decathlete and it was fun having him kind of coach me. So there was other elements involved. But- um, Did you like
1: close your eyes on the pole vault? Like how did that mm-hmm. work?
0: No, I just like being, I just, I enjoy kind of like the, the thrill of kind of scaring myself. Like I love roller coasters. So yeah, I just ended up being like, that was my best event I ended up being best at it. So I got recruited specifically for that. And kind of my first couple of years in college, I, you know, I tore my hamstring a couple of times and, and I had like all these issues, honestly more self-inflicted. And I think part of that was how I was dealing with stress or how I was even just like being a freshman and stuff and going out way too much. And that impacted things. And, and, uh, Definitely could have handled all of that a lot more productive, uh, in a productive way, but kind of worked through that after a couple of years and kind of turned stuff around and, um, eventually like junior year, you know, actually doing well and setting a PR and so eventually getting the record. And then I think that's kind of why I like led to senior year. So I, I kind of turned it around after a couple of years, but as you know, kind of getting injured as an athlete is a whole set of psychological issues. And even when you're healthy, the fear avoidance of actually coming back and stuff. So Um, luckily, uh, it, it all kind of turned out, uh, well, but, but yeah, it was, it was a long-winded answer.
1: No, I appreciate that. Obviously track is not as big professionally. I mean, it's
0: what, you know, my mom, (laughs) my mom was always in the stands. I don't understand what you're saying. When I said
1: that, I, I was like, wait a second. No, I totally,
0: I totally agree. Yes.
1: (laughs) But after, I mean, I love watching it. It's one of my favorite events when it's on TV. But that being said, like, what did it look like after college? Like, what were you thinking? Did you want to keep competing? Was there opportunities to keep doing that? Was it kind of like, Oh, I know I'm not going to.
0: Well, to to your point um, I never thought I was going to be a professional track athlete, nothing against professional track athletes, but I also know it requires a certain amount of dedication and you really have to love the sport because there's not the financial upside of like being a football player and all these other things. So you know i never loved track um i i liked it and i think what i loved about it was the experiences it it, it provided for me and 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 what it gave me in terms of like you know like even just like teaching me like work ethic and things like that um and so I kind of and I would also say I don't think you're going to go to Yale to be professional in any sport. Usually I know there's like a couple of people that have gone on to play professional football, and that's awesome. But on the whole, I don't think people are looking at at the Ivy League as the go-to league. Um, but I would say I think that, you know, coming into it, I had a couple goals of like of like either getting the record or being captain and stuff. And and I kind of that was kind of like what I wanted out of the experience. And so I felt like I was able to achieve that. And then afterwards, I was kind of ready to, to move on onto other stuff. And and so honestly, I, I was really ready to be done. It was kind of a relief. I just felt like so much time is going into it and so much effort. And because I had so many injuries, I spent hours in the training room doing all that stuff. And so yeah. I was just like, I'm ready to kind of start focusing and turning my attention to, to something different.
1: Were you gung-ho on the finance? Finance trainer, were you kind of like, I'll just see? I know I could probably make it
0: like I keep asking these
1: close ended questions. Yeah, no, no, leading you into it, but you know what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, probably 70% of our grade, and this is a huge rant, I don't even know if this number is right, felt this way, at least, at least amongst my friends, like either went into like consulting or finance out of school. And the majority ended up in New York. And so I think for me, it's like, I feel like I am pretty driven, but I also had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I was just like, okay, if everyone's kind of doing this, then I'll kind of go along and start to figure it out. And, and I knew I wanted to be in New York and and try that out for a few years. And so I would never, I never would be like, oh, I wanted to do finance. That's for me. And I never felt like, oh, I'm going to love this, but I felt like it was a good foundation of like learning stuff and kind of what you say in any sort of you know, entry level entry, I'm going to learn a lot, you know, and meet a lot of people and learn how to work hard. But that's kind of how I felt. And and I think, because so much time was either wrapped up into like friends or track and stuff, like, I think that work and future life prospects w- took like kind of a third place in that. And so um, I think it was until I got into the working world and really started to kind of like, figure out what I wanted to do long term was when um it kind of started to set my path of company and trying to kind of get more back into healthcare and mental health stuff.
1: After school, like what were the first three months, what they look like for you?
0: So the first year at school was actually pretty tough for me. Um, I, you know, like it was a huge transition. Uh, my college girlfriend and I at the time broke up and, you know, I think it was just like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I think like, when I look back on my life i think that's actually one of the hardest years that i've had to personally experience and i think how i handled a lot of things i would have definitely done it differently now um so it was definitely a growth period um and so i think i think that first year and i think that's probably similar to a lot of people for different ways of like your first year out of college and stuff Um, but yeah for me it was tough and and so i think i think finally kind of starting to figure out like what I want to do and, and, and um, having an idea of kind of what sort of that purpose was, um, was kind of helpful. It just took a little while to, to get there.
1: What got you there? Do you think?
0: I don't know. I feel like self-reflection is an overused term. So probably some of that. Um, I think part of it is, is just like talking to people and seeing like what they're doing and what they're enjoying. And I think eventually too, like you know, I, I, I think part of it too, is like, maybe you don't know what you necessarily want to do, but you know what you don't want to do. And I think for me, like, you know, I would look around at, um, you know, either my bosses or more than my bosses. And I, I really liked a lot of my bosses, but I would be like, if I was like the perfect worker, I would have your job. And would I want that? And I was like, no, like, yes, you would make a ton of money, but it's like, I just wouldn't enjoy the work. And so I was like, what would I really enjoy? Because I feel like, you know, there's probably ways that you can still live like a very comfortable life, but do something that you really enjoy. And and I just knew that the work I was doing wasn't going to get me there.
1: Sometimes my friends and I talk about that, trying to figure out what we like doing or what we want to do at least career-wise, um, and we kind of got to the conversation of what are, like, the types of things we like to be around, like, the types of people, the types of environments, and what are the types of things we don't like to be around, rather than putting a, a label on, like, I want to work in a bank, or I want to work in this or that, because it feels kind of limiting, and then when you think about, okay, I want to work in healthcare, and you're starting a a company that you're working in healthcare but you're also working directly with athletes like you have you're in a spot that allows you access to something you enjoyed but also something that you you want to help with
0: I think life is very much structured around absolutes like I hate this I love this or you know this person is affiliated with this organization so I hate them or this one so I love them and I think like you know it's just not how I think I think that just causes kind of resentment and unhappiness and usually hypocritical nature of things too. So um yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. But I I, I think that uh I think actually kind of like being very open minded to stuff and starting to kind of like piece together like, oh I, I'm really interested in that and kind of like learning more about that. And and I think it just takes time. But even even when you think you know you love something, sometimes you get in it and you're like this freaking blows. So yeah. like you know I think I think that it's, it, it's, it's kind of like a, it's all, it's like, it's a, a process, you know, like the whole, the whole journey, not the end goal thing, I think is, is there's a lot of validity to it.
1: That's the key. What were things that you tried? What were you new at?
0: When I left New York, um, I joined a startup, kind of running operations in in DC, and it was like a digital marketing firm. And and kind of I was started kind of running some of the finance operations for them, and that eventually moved into more like sales BD stuff. It was only a twenty person firm. I'm definitely not passionate about digital marketing of like the creating websites and videos and you know campaigns and all this stuff. But I really figured out like I do really enjoy like sales and like pitching and and things like that. And I really enjoyed like actually running the day-to-day stuff of, of a company. And, and I think a lot of why I did went to this company is that I wanted to learn how you can actually run and start a company. And so kind of near the end of that is, is, was like, I really want to get into healthcare. I feel comfortable. I can start, you know, I can actually run things and things like that. And so I Again, I think I mentioned this, I worked out an agreement with a a healthcare startup where I kind of served as their outsourced chief of staff um, for about a year and a half uh, or two years while I started getting things together for Zama. And so, yeah, I think like, you know, one of the benefits of going to a startup is it's a great place to figure out like, what you like and don't like and what you're good at when you're bad at because you kind of get everything thrown at you and so, you wear
1: a lot of hats.
0: Uh, and then some people just like, this sucks. I don't want to do this at all. And they'll go back to the corporate world. Um, but you know, for me it was like I do like this area. I kind of like the specific things, but I want to go now into an industry that is actually impactful and, you know, I care more about.
1: Were you able to talk to people after you were done about just the transition in general, like any of your teammates or friends?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, nothing like formalized, but I mean, I've said this to to friends in the in the past. Like, I, I wouldn't say people are you're reaching out to me and saying, "Hey," which which would be fine if they wanted to, but like, I, no one's proactively being like, "I heard you had a huff tough year, first year at college." Yeah. Like, yeah. about that. But yeah, I mean, let's talk I would, about that. But but I would say, like, again, it's like you know, in conversations with friends, if they're going through a rough time and are are just kind of talking about them through it, or. um, you know, just as things come up, uh, you know, sharing some of those experiences. I think I think a lot of, um, and a lot of, again, stuff that we're trying to do for Zama too, is show that, you know, whatever you're experiencing, it's very rare that you're the only one having those thoughts and feelings. And that's why like groups are a great thing, but like, So a lot of what we're trying to do is eventually build more of like a real peer-to-peer support type network um, that, you know, folks can lean on if they don't have that direct relationship, like for someone that they can't talk to. I did. And so i benefited from that, but a lot of people don't. And so that's something I think longer term that we really want to facilitate. It's like, how can you connect individuals anonymously that have similar issue areas or backgrounds? So it's still anonymous, but you can still kind of get feedback from people. Um, The Mighty, which is one of the biggest, I think so, might might be the biggest actually social network for people with chronic conditions. It's a similar idea. It's like a lot of times people don't want to speak to a therapist or a family member. They actually just want to talk to someone who can relate to them personally. And so there's millions of users posting questions about like, how, how should I feel about this? And people are answering it. And I think, especially in the athlete community, there's a lot of similarities of, of the stressors that impact them. And, and so being able to kind of help facilitate that kind of you know, support and connection, I think would be cool longer term.
1: Where do you see shortcomings in like the NCAA that could be benefited from Zama and other areas? Yeah,
0: I mean, I would say so. Like, I think as I kind of kicked off with like the NCAA has written out these best practices for mental health, um, but they're not requirements. And I'm guessing I don't know this, I think like, if they were to make those requirements, they would lose half the league. And so, and that's just because, you know, it's really hard to find good practitioners that are licensed. It's even when you find them, you know, usually they're unaffordable. And so um, I think like, I don't necessarily blame the NCAA. I think they're starting to get better, uh, but I think it's just more of a societal problem, even extending from athletes of it's really hard to find, you know, affordable care um, that's, you know, accessible. And so, Within the athlete, if you can kind of figure out a model, which I think that we are are doing that where you can do that, um, then I think that would be a really impactful thing to provide. And so, um, you know, I think that because the NCAA is talking about it, because it's becoming less stigmatized, it's just the right time to try to provide this to a wider audience.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like so many pieces are connected, but if one's missing it, it almost derails. I'm just thinking more so in, in the NCAA of like... Good practitioners. Like if that doesn't happen, then the entire pretty much structure of it would be.
0: Yeah. And and one of the things that we want to do too is like, you know, one of the greatest roadblocks to kind of getting this could be your coach. And it also could be one of your greatest advocates, too. Like some coaches Mm -hmm. are completely bought and want to be supportive, sometimes too much. And like that's a whole other type of training thing. But, you know, and I think like that's why one of the things that we want to do is actually do a research study so we're we're very in the preliminary stages of like defining like what any of those parameters could look like but if we can eventually show sort of not only the health benefits of incorporating behavioral health into programs but also performance benefits hopefully that would help like kind of break some of those barriers for coaches where then it becomes a thing about performance versus like something maybe they might not believe in on the mental health side so think about and and one of the the woman woman one of the individuals who's going to help us <laughs> with that, I can't speak today. Okay. Uh, she was the uh, Her name is Jen Huberty. She's a former ex-head of science for Calm, the meditation app. And she really designed all of their clinical studies. And so um, she officially came on to be an, an advisor to Zama to kind of help us think through, you know, what could um, a research study that we did look like? Because I am clearly not a scientist and I will... <laughs> not trying, although Jane, my co-founder and my mother, it's weird to call her Jane. Um,
1: I, I was for it, a second. I was like,
0: is it, is a, uh, its a has been a great practitioner for over 30 years. Like she's also not a scientist. So we're, we're really focused on trying to like find folks who can help us um, do right by science and trying to do this study. So we're working on that.
1: Can I get the, the meat behind what you're, what you're saying? And I mean, when you were talking about it, when we talked last week, I was like, this is amazing. Like, you didn't have to really convince me that it makes a difference because I know it would. Um, and it does. I mean, I think back to coaches that they just were like very aware of how we were feeling and they paid attention. And I had coaches who made like a very, very big difference in not only my career, but in my life, Like I think back to moments that, I would have never had in college if it weren't for the specific coaches that I had. Once again, track is amazing. I don't understand how it works. Like do you run cross country and track? You have a lot of coaches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we have, we have, um, I do not, I, I can barely run over a mile. I ran a 10 K this year and that's the most I've ever run in my life. That's amazing. So, so we have, uh, so, so we have like, you have like the field event coaches the uh, sprints coaches and kind of the cross country long distance coaches. So it's kind of those three. And even within those, you know, sometimes they specialize in, in certain types of distances, lengths or events. So like we had, you know, a throws coach that specialized in that, which is a field event. But then for me, I'm like a pole vaulter. And so we had a specific coach for that. So every program is different. Um, I think we had like five or six um, across everything. Um, but yeah, I loved my coach. He, he was great. I still keep in touch with him and, um, yeah, he, he was always, he, he's basically kind of like a, a de facto dad. Um, and, and so I think, uh, you know, we had a really great, great relationship, which I was, uh, which I was grateful for. And so, um, yeah,
1: were you close with the other coaches?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really liked our sprints coaches. So our one our sprints coach left after a couple of years and uh now he's a head coach at Troy. But then he was replaced by a new individual who I, I think is great too. Um so I, I would I would say him and our head coach I was the closest with. And then, you know, knew the throw coach and and the distance coaches as well, but I'm just around them less. Um it was it was it was definitely a pretty supportive environment and and it was it was good overall.
1: I know sometimes people have a tougher time with coaches and that's to be expected with, I mean, there's just so many different types of people and they bring all these different experiences. in. so I'm always curious. And especially with the company that you're starting and running is the education for coaches and also fitness instructors and stuff. I mean, we talked about how coaching in general is just, it's such an emotional job and you hold Mm -hmm. a lot of space for people and you hold a lot of you listen and you remember you have to remember a lot of things and I guess you get to but it can definitely be burnout is a real thing and for sure figuring out how to take care of yourself as a coach and you know be able to provide the best support to athletes. Yeah. And-
0: I, I mean, I think, and that's something we're really focused on too, of like, you know, even when we started working um, with Equinox a bit, a lot of it was more focused on the trainers themselves um, because there is so much burnout and you're kind of dealing with people's issues all day long. And, and yeah. I think how could that not get exhausting, especially when like, that's really not your job. Like as a therapist is a little bit more understandable because that's your job. Yeah. Um, and so I think like to your point, how do you kind of work with them so that you're taking some of that load off of them where when they do hear or see some of these things, they can more quickly redirect you to resources that probably will be more helpful to you um, versus them trying to kind of work it out and deal with it themselves. Um, But I mean, it's hard too, because I get how especially like these coaches who maybe they don't have kids and they really like build a real relationship with them. Um, You know, I know it's hard sometimes to to be like, oh, go elsewhere. Um, so it's definitely a, a, a balance and and a fine line of things. But yeah, I think you know coaches play an enormous role, and and if you can make their lives easier, then all the better.
1: What have you found? What What have you found was the the best thing for you personally when you were leaving sport, and also like in your day to day?
0: Best thing, sorry, best thing for me in terms of just, just like
1: your well being and
0: yeah. I think without a doubt, it's always like, you know, I'm very much an extrovert and it's always like being around people that, you know, I'm close with family, especially friends. Um, luckily in New York, I lived with four of my best friends for five, sorry, four of my best friends, there's five of us for three years. Um, and so, and then we had like another group of guys that are like right down the street and there's like six of them and we're all super close. And so, I think just like leaning on them and not necessarily like in a therapeutic way, like listen to my problems, but just in like a enjoy being around them, enjoy the company, doing things with them. And even to this day, like I still, I mean, that's kind of what I gain energy from. Um, uh, it's just like kind of being around these people that, you know, I care about.
1: Were they all at Yale as well?
0: Um, yeah. I mean, I'm still close with a couple of my friends from high school. Um, and obviously I've met. Uh, a few people uh, post-grad, but yeah, without a doubt, like the, the main group is all people from college.
1: Did you have friends outside of your team or I guess outside of this just sport in general?
0: Yeah, I would actually say like all of my, almost like all my best friends were not on the track team. They're actually almost wow. on the football team, I would say. Okay. Um, we had like a group of like 30 guys probably that across all teams, um, soccer, football, basketball was big and and so like I was actually like, kind of like the only track guy in it but we're all still super close we're all in like group chats constantly um and so I would say most of them were all athletes um but a few were not um I, I think like we just kind of like came together a lot freshman year um similar backgrounds and And so it just kind of ended up that you ended up hanging out with a lot of other athletes. And I do think it was, it's atypical. I think most schools too, you end up staying kind of within their sport. Um, So it was fun. It was fun, actually, like we all just kind of hang out uh, together. So, but uh, yeah, still all really close. And it's a a fun group. I have like eight weddings next year. So people are, people are starting to (laughs) yeah, exactly.
1: I know. I'm like, I love love, but. Let's (laughs)
0: Let's <laughs> calm it
1: down a little
0: bit. <laughs> I know COVID really made it shine.
1: Oh yeah, that's for sure. Um, I know I'm jealous. I, I mean, I love my friends. I, we were super close. Like our team was, but we didn't make a ton of, we were friends with like the baseball guys, soccer guys, but not as many of the girls.
0: Yeah. yeah I I think- would like say there's a couple, a couple of girls in the track team. I'm still uh, pretty close with, um, when I actually officiated her wedding, which was fun. That's fun. Uh, so that was last year. And the guy I actually am friends with too, he was kind of part of our crew. And then another girl, she was the women's captain and she and I are still very close. So um, de- definitely uh, a few close kind of girlfriends on the on that side too, mostly just athletes though too.
1: I know we would come home after class if someone made a friend that was not an athlete. We'd be like, oh my gosh, we did it. Like we've done it. <laughs> yeah, it's <that's> um, awesome. <laughs> it just, is. it's weird being outside of, I mean, it sounds like you're surrounded by a ton of people and I'm sure you talk to people all day after school, being kind of in the regular world of having to make friends that maybe you aren't surrounded with all the time and you might not have the same life experiences. Whereas in college, you're kind of just mushed together and you're all doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, I know. It's true. I mean, it's easy. It it, it just, again, more on the time thing. It's like you're you're forced to do all these things, not necessarily like against your, like that you don't want to do it, but that, you know, it just becomes easier just to hang out with your team and people like that, you know, it's it's so I think that's kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier is you just kind of end up following sort of this trajectory. And sometimes you go into like automation mode.
1: Um, I'm just looking at the time and I, I guess I got called out by Zoom. I don't have the pro Zoom. So um, we (laughs) have two minutes left on this. So I wanted to, Ask two more questions and I hope that we have time. And I guess if not, we can just click back on the link. But if Brendan now had to give Brendan advice when you were leaving school, what would you say?
0: I think when I was leaving school, I would have said that you should go try to find uh, a therapist and and kind of chat with them. Because I think I tried to like do a lot of stuff on my own. And I think that it was more damaging in the short term than it probably could have, would have had to have been.
1: I love that and okay final question what would your walkout song be
0: my walkout song hmm well you know i grew up on street caroline i love that song i love singing songs songs that gets everyone going everyone can sing to you know my favorite like one of my favorite singers garth brooks like friends in low places and i also love that one so i'd probably pick one of those two
1: those are good. some good options Yeah. Yeah, Those, those are definitely like, you know, that's going to rally the crowd.
0: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Brightside is a classic, but I don't know if I could pull that off as a walkout song.
1: I feel like you could (laughs) for sure. Um, Well, thank you so much. I I appreciate you sharing your more about like just yourself and what you're doing in this space. I think it's so important and, um, and your experiences as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been great. So appreciate you having me on.